Hello and welcome to the Knowledge Without College podcast. It's your host, Patrick Butler. And today I have an incredible conversation to share with you. I just spoke with a man named Stefan Alexander. Stefan has quite the resume. According to his Twitter bio, he is an award-winning theoretical cosmologist. He's a Brown physics professor, a science advisor for Disney, and an experimental jazz musician. Uh, he has an incredible book, which we spoke about in this episode, called The Jazz of Physics, The Secret Link Between Music and the Structure of the Universe. That idea by itself, to me, is captivating. It's mind-blowing. Uh, I actually first heard of Stefan during a uh, TED Talk that I had watched where he compares uh, the geometry of music to the geometry of the universe. And overall, it's just amazing. Uh, and to have the opportunity to speak with someone like Stefan with such a wide-reaching knowledge in this area is always a treat and a true honor. So please enjoy this conversation with Stefan Alexander. Hey, Stefan, thank you so much for joining us. It's a true honor to have you on today. It's an honor to be on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. For the audience out there who maybe is, is not totally familiar with your work just yet, would you mind telling them in your own words what it is that you do and how you got to this point? Sure. So I'm a theoretical physicist. Um, so um, normally in physics, um, you know, physics is an experimental science. So people do experiments and they look for new phenomenon having to do with the physical world. Um, but some of us are, you know, usually come up with theories or ideas, um, concepts that might try to understand um, what nature is saying, um, especially with these experiments. So <clears throat> the kind of theoretical physics I do um, involves constructing theories or models that try to um, talk about, try to explain and understand the happenings in the very earliest stages of our universe. So why do we want to do that? Um, and I guess we can talk more about that later, but um, we have a handful of evidence from looking at the stars and looking, at, looking into outer space that the universe is actually expanding. And <clears throat> by, what I mean by expanding is not that, so then the question is what is expanding in the universe? And turns out that space is expanding. Actually, space and time is expanding. And so we have ways of knowing that and testing that idea. So space was expanding. If you run the clock backwards, it must have been contracting if you go, to, if you go backwards in time to the point where all these things that appear to be really far away from each other were actually much closer. And therefore, it was closer, it was denser, the universe was smaller and smaller and smaller. And it got very hot and very energetic. And at some point, um, you can actually ask questions about, okay, how did the universe change to create all the things we see around us, planets, people, stars? And so it turns out that um, there's a, there's, there are a lot of interesting things that we can learn about the fundamental laws of physics um, here in the here and now by studying um, the early, you know, earliest stages of the universe. You probably heard what it's like the Big Bang Theory and, you know, cosmic inflation, all these things. That's the domain that I work in. And so I'm basically a physicist, I, I, you know, and I try to, you know, look at the current laws that we understand really well and see where, see where there are holes of places where they don't work and try to fix those things, improve the theories to have a more complete um, theory of, of physics. So me and my collaborators, that, that's what we do. And we mainly work with ideas and conversations and math, mathematics. Um, all of these things are tools that help us do what we do. And computers. And computers. I can imagine that'd be very helpful these days. Um, it's truly amazing to me, the, the field of physics, because of 
the way you're able to extract information from the natural world and sort of work backwards like that. You know, it's, we, it appears that, you know, in other areas of science, like we have a hard enough try, time trying to understand our own evolution as a human, uh, you know, but to go back into the, uh, you know, into the nature of reality with physics is just, it's mind boggling. I think for a lot of people, it's, it's something that is, you know, it's like instantly gets your head spinning. How did you get into the, this field and how did you embrace this field as something that, um, you know, as, as a place where you can contribute value and really like, you know, dig in the way that you've been able to do? Yeah. I mean, that's really good. That's a really good question. Um, well, I think like many kids, like many young people, um, we, we have this curiosity. It could be, the curiosity could be about, you know, maybe a friend that likes, someone that likes plants and they're curious about plants. So someone's curious about electronics or music, right? So we all have different types of curiosity. My curiosity, I wanted to understand how things worked. Oh, you know, okay, um, you know, at that time when I was younger, I was interested in video games and I wanted to be a video game programmer. And so naturally that involves a computer. So then I realized that actually the way the computer itself worked or uses the laws of physics and a precise knowledge of these laws. And I sort of saw that that was also like a video game too, understand the rules and trying to hack the rules of nature and trying to tease out the secrets of nature. Um, and physics was that discipline. But the other thing that is that actually there's a sense of beauty in, in physics. What I mean by that, and we probably hear the word of beauty and elegance. And usually for me, that means that you can reach a simple understand of something, right? Um, a simple understand of something that then once you understand it, could apply to many different things that you thought had nothing to do with each other. Right. One the big one of the big places where we see that was when Isaac Newton invented basically um, the laws of mechanics, the law, the laws of gravitation. Not invented, discovered it, and he got he he got to that by making a big leap that that for thousands of years of human beings we didn't do. Right. He said he noticed that the you know the thing that's making the moon go around the Earth right, was the same thing. So the thing that's happening way out there in outer space that should have nothing to do with the happenings of here on Earth, right, meaning the moon going around um, the Earth, was the same thing that's operating to make an apple fall. And so this idea that gravity is this universal force, that, that it, it, it happens everywhere on Earth, in outer space, and that the way that he was able to find the laws of gravity came from uniting those two, th those two things and saying that there must be one force that underlies all of that. And what is that thing? Is that the moon, both the moon and, and the apple were falling towards the earth, right? So then by making that, that leap, that connection, he was able to, so let me say it another way. Once you know Newton's laws, right? An object accelerates if you apply a force to it. Okay right or it, it, it will resist the change in motion right um if you apply a force to it so this force this gravitational force comes from that statement and that statement is a really simple equation one equation f is equal to the mass times the acceleration force is equal to the mass times the acceleration that's that equation if you solve that equation it will explain the motion of the apple it will also explain the motion of the moon around the earth it will also explain the motion of the earth and all the plants around the solar system. That one equation has an elegance um, and an economy of explaining a vast array. It will explain of how an airplane is gonna land with autopilot. It uses the same law, right? GPS yeah. satellites. So the point is that one equation can do all of that. So I was attracted to physics because I was like, wow, what is it about nature that leads, that lends itself to that, all the laws, um, the laws of physics can so elegantly and simplistically um, explain complicated things all in one shot. Now, let me add one last thing to that. You mentioned that, you know, it's amazing that, you know, we, the, even human relations, a human being, our evolution is complicated. And what's really interesting about that is that, what if I was to tell you that the laws of the early universe, those equations, right, they are simpler. <laughs> 
than the equations that govern the neurons in our brain. For some weird reason, the laws of the universe in its infant stages are actually simple. I find it to be really interesting, right? Why did it have to be? Yeah. Why are we so lucky? The laws could have been infinitely more complex and we could have never unearthed these truths. It's almost as if like nature or the whatever it gave this us gave this simplicity to us as a gift. Um, so neuroscience in all these fields, biology, they're much more complicated than cosmology in that sense. There's a lot more complexity there. It's amazing. And it's an idea that, you know, I love as well. You know, uh, the, the idea that there's sort of like this universal patterns. And like you said, there's a beauty and an elegance in some of these patterns that you notice and that you can describe geometrically or with uh, different equations. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, it really draws, you know, a lot of uh, questions about, you know, just the nature of the universe altogether. So it's really interesting to hear that you were first interested in potentially becoming a uh, a video game uh, developer because, you know, it's, it sort of lends to the idea of, you know, like what are we living in today? Like the, you know, right. the simulation theory and that sort of idea where uh, while it's that word may carry a lot of baggage with it, the simulation theory and so forth, the idea that there are common elements and common patterns all through nature, uh, it's kind of like the code that builds, you know, the world that we live in today. Yes. Uh, I mean, with, uh, and then the way that I actually discovered you was uh, in an amazing TED Talk uh, where you uh, are able to draw this comparison between physics and these, you know, naturally these occurring patterns and uh, the beauty and the elegance of these patterns with jazz. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's an amazing thing. Is there, uh, could you speak for a moment on, on your, you know, sort of how that came to be, how those comparisons sort of, uh, you know, got created in your life? Yeah. You know, I think it just had to do, well, so most of it had to do with just um, that, you know, music and jazz um, are passions of mine. You know, I love listening to jazz music. And then, you know, I love many instruments. Um, I wish I could play them all. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I can play one. Well, I could play a little piano, but, um, and, but I also love the sound. I love, you know, great saxophonists. I love listening to the sound of the saxophone. So, Naturally, I was attracted to that as a passion, but I found that, you know, um, the path to learning and the comp to be becoming and playing in, you know, improvisational music and just in general, um, I found that, you know, as a student and, you know, I, was, I also play out, um, <clears throat> perform, but I found that as a student, uh, and I'm still a student, I'm a lifelong student, um, that that and like the way I also engaged and I did my physics, my theoretical physics, you know, coming up with ideas, you know, be, um, I found that there were parallels between those two activities. Um, also, I mean, if you think about music, music is nothing more than, you know, patterns of sound waves, right? In a, nut, in a nutshell, right? And, you know, and some people say, well, it's ordered, you know, ordered sound. Some people say music is that. Well, it's, at the end of the day, fundamentally, it's, um, the vibe, you know, music comes from vibrating objects and create, you know, is a, is music is the information is, is um, transmitted through sound waves. And therefore the whole field of acoustics and the physics of, of waves, um, when you look at, that's the common language in a lot of ways between music and physics. I mean, I can teach, I would say at least 70% of all the physics I know just purely by using ideas and wave mechanics, right? And so, you know, I was able to import some of those concepts and ideas um, as a different lens, a lens, not, not the only one, I mean, a different lens through which I can see, I can look at my music and understand my improvisation. I can like look at ideas of quantum mechanics and quantum uncertainty, right? The idea, the idea that, you know, <clears throat> If you know the position um, really, really well of a quantum particle, you know you're, you're less certain about it's how fast it's moving and vice versa, right? So these types of uncertainties in quantum mechanics, I was able to, you know, use analogies in, in improvisation to say, well, improvisation is like a, it's kind of like an uncertainty in a sense, right? Sure. So like you know. Um, 
you're exploring a space, um, you know, of, of notes um, that you're going to play. And, you know, you're more certain or less about others. Um, if you're more certain about one, you're less certain about others. I mean, like, so just playing with these analogies, simply because these two things are passions of mine, I couldn't help myself <laughs> but, to, but, to, but to have those worlds cross. Yeah. I believe that is a case for anything that you do that you're passionate about. And I think that the act of doing that, whether or not there are any really true connections, even though I did write a book about it, right? Um, right. Um, even though there, there aren't any, I think the act of doing it, that, that sort of practice, yeah, just attempting to do, make those connections between these two different worlds, music and physics, for example. I, you know, I want to believe and I, I strongly believe that it's influenced in, in, in creative ways, in terms of creativity, and influence how I think about my physics more creatively and how I think about my music, how, my, how I play, how maybe how I approach my music um, more creatively. And the final thing I find interesting about those connections is that I think one of the things that was valuable about my jazz, um, it's like, you know, in improvisational music, you can practice, you can practice, you know, and you'll continue practicing and working on your technique and theory and your air and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, when you're out, if you're improvising in real time and, you know, the band is going and there's no time if you make a mistake to stop the music and correct it. If you're going to make a mistake at some point in terms of you might play a note that you thought to be incorrect and you got to quickly not attach to being wrong. You have to work with what you have. And, and I found that that practice, that practice in terms of my jazz playing, like, like okay, I, I, may, I played this really bad, uh, ugly note right there. I got to move with it. Okay, how do I make it sound good in the next few notes, right? Um, that, I, inf, you know, is a good analogy or metaphor for how I would like to approach my, 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 my research in physics. I, you know, if I if I go down a path because I have a, you know, I have an idea and I really get attached to, you know, you know, to this idea. Um, cause I, I so believe it's correct, but it's just not working. Like give, you know, being able to, 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 to sidestep, well, I don't know what the word is, but like, you know, to, to make, to get, you not give up, but you know, to change directions, um, is like taking that wrong note and staring yeah. in some place. Yeah. So I found that, that also like practices like, you know, improvisation and even the way I interact with colleagues, you know, you know, not like taking what someone says and, and, and morphing it into something that's useful is like group improvisation, right? So I find that, that that's another place where that, that interplay happens as well for me. Yeah, it's, this reminds me of a quote from uh, the, it's, Miyato, Miyamoto Musashi's book, uh, The Book of Five Rings, you know, oh, hundreds okay. of years old. That's, okay. uh, he says, you know, once you understand the way broadly, you see it in all things. And Interesting. it's, you know, it's very much the same idea that you're describing where you're seeing an opportunity in jazz where you're able to apply that same way of thinking to physics. And this is particularly just mind bending to me because I think you see it in, in disciplines across the board, whether it's uh, you know, what's going to, you, you mentioned specifically, you said, you know, trying to find a way to work with maybe if you hit the wrong note or something to make it sound good. And right. you, you can see that same sort of pattern where, uh, you know, whether it be architecture or painting or anything like that, where, you know, a mistake can be adapted into something that's ultimately structurally sound or aesthetic to the eye. Uh, right. You know, if sort of you, you follow the pattern or create the right, uh, you know, uh, you know, create the, the, the right end product, I guess you could say, you know, create, build into the, to a whole functioning, you know, uh, again, beautiful and elegant uh, piece, whatever that may be. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it's remarkable to see. And also, you know, it's amazing because on the scale that you're uh, pursuing physics, where you're, you're looking back deep into, you know, space and time and seeing that, you know, really all the answers there must be in front of us somewhere. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you see that, you know, direct connection? It's almost like you said, you know, filling in the gaps. It's like you may be able to find answers to some equations or be able to describe things with mathematics that we haven't been able to just by understanding the way that, uh, you know, a jazz musician is able to, to uh, uh, 
you know, correct uh, a mistake or, or, you know, deliver off of what might've been a, uh, a blunder. Yeah. I mean, cause at the end of the day, like, you know, when we have, you know, in, in my discipline, you know, we have our, um, you know, the basic competences that we need, you know, like what we, you train to do in my case, you know, you know, there's a, you know, um, there is a, a toolbox of, of, of mathematics and then concepts and, you know, and, um, hypo, you know, um, and um, principles underlying the, the, the physics, right? So, yep. uh, but now you're supposed to create something new that explains un, un, her, you know, unexplained phenomenon or maybe might you hope to predict something new that we haven't seen yet. And there, you know, um, sometimes you have to, it's, it's not only about like, you know, using the physics you know already, right? But doing physics, creating new physics. And, and part of what that looks like for me, part of my strategy and you know, dealing with the unknown in that sense um, is to, um, um, what am I trying to say here? Um, it's, you know, it's to knock myself outside the box. I know that sounds colloquial, but yeah, you know, the idea of wanting to be able to think outside the box. Um, well, that's easier said than done for me. Um, but like by making some like ludicrous, like sometimes speculative connection, like the universe is improvisational um, in the early universe, it's quantum mechanical, so maybe it's improvisational. What gives it purpose? Maybe it's improvising itself to a, some, some other state, maybe, right? Okay, it sounds like a crazy idea. But that in and of itself has already put me outside the box, right? That doesn't take anything away from the fact that, you know, if I see something interesting, I won't be able to go back and resort to the mathematics and the tools and, and you know, and the concepts and the body of knowledge that's already known, right? So for me, that's a place where it has proven itself to be useful, this type of thinking. Totally. It's, it's amazing. I love the idea. And uh, I'm curious in, uh, you know, in your field, is there, are, are there, you know, cause you mentioned the different technologies and the, and the different tools that you have at your disposal. Is there anything that, uh, you know, would be a 10 X multiplier to, you know, disrupt our ability to measure different things or discover different, uh, you know, whether it's a law of physics or, you know, understanding of the nature of our reality. Is there anything that you could imagine or that physicists look forward to of, you know, someday or possibly in our lifetime to have uh, something that would disrupt our ability to understand things much more so than what we have the capability of having right now? Something, you mean something like some, some new science, some knowledge, some, some, when you say something to, yeah, like some new technology or, or uh, development that may, you know, radically change our ability to measure different things or understand different parts of physics. Hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe if like fundamentally, um, I mean, there's a, you know, there's an elephant in the room for, I think, for all the sciences, including physics, which is um, consciousness. Um, you know, what, you know, what we all, if you're alive and you have, you know, we, it's obvious that it's like the most, it is the most direct experience or exper uh, experiment we all do, which is we sure. have, we have a qualia, we have a, a firsthand experience of this, of the so-called outside world, right? We mm -hmm. have five forms of perception and, um, we have this direct experience the laws of physics and the laws of biology and, you know, including neuroscience can't, they can't explain this direct experience. And so if one day we actually come to understand that, which I don't, I mean, you know, I, I don't claim that, but let's assume that one day, and it turns out that the understand of that, I think the, the understand of that may disrupt um, the whole, the whole program of, of, not of not physics, but the of a the particular our understanding of consciousness um, may lead us, right? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, may lead us to think otherwise. Um, it may not. It will. It would certainly hack um, this 
the the presumption or the assumption of realism in, in physics. Mm-hmm. I, I'm it. not a philosopher, but that's you know, but the best I can do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it sounds like there's you know, you you have to do a certain level of uh, what's called philosophizing, you know, if if mm-hmm. uh, you know to to try to dive into these unknowns, you know, there's mm-hmm. uh, like like you said, it's sort of right in front of our face. It's something we all experience is consciousness, uh, but but it's not something that you know we're, we have an, an it doesn't seem like anyone you know, has a great explanation of. The, one of the fathers of, um, uh, of quantum mechanics, um, like which is the science, you know, the science of our modern technology, the science of how you know your computer, cell phone, and everything that we call our mind, the science underlying that, the understanding of the laws of physics to make those things work, is quantum mechanics. And it's really interesting that the, one of the architects of quantum mechanics. He started off with a, with the fascination with this question about consciousness and like you know and mind, and so he read heavily Schopenhauer, and was influenced by Schopenhauer and the Vedic texts of um, of uh, you know of India, um, and that philosophy. Okay, mm-hmm. and he was inspired by that, and like that really drove how he thought about, you know, when he was constructing the wave mechanics of quantum mechanics, because he believed that there was a sense of holism in the in the, in the world, and somehow with you know, um, but he was inspired by that. He ended, like he ended, I mean, he also, it didn't end there. I mean, his seminal book, What is Life? Schrodinger's What is Life, which led basically to the discovery of DNA. He ended actually with the, same, with the question again of how does quantum mechanics and consciousness and, um, you know, interact, right? It's a Schrodinger and he was, um, he didn't claim that he had any answers, but it was, I, I found it interesting that the, one of the fathers of quantum mechanics also, Niels Bohr, same way they, they were driven. And so these types of questions, even though we may not find answers, I think it's important to, to realize by thinking about the big and deep questions, could, you know, it could steer and influence the tabletop physics that you're doing, right? For sure. And, yeah, and I think it's also important to talk to scientists of other, sub, other disciplines because there's a lot of interest in, aside from it being fun <laughs> yeah. and entertaining, right? Sure. Um, you know, you never know. You never know where an idea might influence, um, you know, somewhere else on third base. Yeah, absolutely. That's, you know, it's sort of what I'm describing with, you know, in, in so many disciplines, I think if you look at like the uh, the top of that field, whether it's, you know, some of the most amazing paintings ever done or, uh, you know, you look at like the the Pantheon or something like that in architectural work, like there's, there's a certain level of sort of, uh, commonalities and patterns within it you know that that make it stand make it last a long time make it sort of aesthetic to the eye uh mm-hmm. that you know it's it's cross-disciplinary that the highest level in nearly any a creative discipline comes down to a, a very similar looking um set of like you know set of patterns and and uh you know applicable math to that situation uh so if that makes sense uh and also you just mentioned the DNA, like my, uh, discovering DNA. And uh, I, I had seen in your TED talk how you, you know, in mapping the Western musical scale, uh, you know, there's found a, a very similar pattern in how that's, that's right. mapped ge- geometrically. It's amazing. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, uh, thanks for saying that because that's something I want to follow up on in my, in my own musings and research. Why is it that like when you map out the way at least – um, some people think the way we perceive um, musical tones, you know, um, and relating that to some geometrical pattern. Why is it that that pattern has the same structure as a double helix? So you yeah. notes wrap themselves around in this double helix, just the way that you know the genetic co- you know um, wraps the nucleotides wrap, wrap themselves around. Um, one and then this is actually how you know. When you have analogies like that, then what you try to do is map one. You try to relate the understanding of one in terms of the other. So for DNA, we know that we know that. The, so, well, why does DNA have that structure? Right? It's for two reasons, actually. It has a function. That structure functions for our existence. The DNA needs to be stable enough. So, hence this helical structure. It gives rather than being like like you know like silly like random or spaghetti, yeah it has this this the structure that gives it a mechanical stability like a spiral stairs mm-hmm. right um, so it, so that over the lifetime of the of the of the cell the organism 
it can be structurally stable to protect and store the information for, for, for the replication of the cell. But it also has a double helix structure so that it can unzip and then, and then you know, duplicate and have mm -hmm. that information read. So the structure does that. Well, maybe we can apply that idea to the musical notes. I don't know. So it's, is there something structurally stable about how, how the brain is, um, is encoding those musical notes? And that's the kind of thinking that takes you outside the box, right? It isn't to say that when you, it gives you a question to ask, mm -hmm. you can ask the question and it may give you back, no, that's completely ludicrous. But like sometimes in that asking, you learn something new that takes you in a different direction. Sure, yeah. yeah. You may be able to take a stab in the dark with a pre-existing idea or understanding or shape and try to apply that to a different area and see if it works or see if it doesn't. Oh, yeah, that, that, that's a, I, I like that analogy. That analogy is a little bit darker. It's more Halloween-ish, but I'll, I'll take <laughs> <Yeah>. it. <laughs> that time of year. Um, I, I'm interested just in, in your field and of your peers, uh, because I think, uh, uh, like we mentioned, this gets down to the nature of reality itself and consciousness. What is the overall leaning uh, of, of physicists in regards to uh, religion or spiritual ideas? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I like to think that physics and people who are right, physics is, you know, likes to pride itself on, it goes back to this idea of realism, right? Yeah. Physicalism. Um, that I want to like, you know, take any subjectivity, the subjective observer, the consciousness out of, you know, the physics that, that, that we're trying to unearth. And um, quantum mechanics gave us a hint that that may not, that that's not, well, that's not net, that, that, that is not strictly the case, all right? But, you know, there's some sense in which quantum mechanics, when that elephant comes into the room, which is a measurement problem, quantum mechanics doesn't um, have all the ingredients, although some people might argue that it does, to solve this measurement problem. It does open up a Pandora's box, which is um, this issue about, you know, uh, the issue that you rose about consciousness and um, and, you know, people like von Neumann, great mathematician, father of computer science, right? Physicists as well. Um, and, you know, Eugene Wigner, um, they, they basically claim that you need to take consciousness, whatever it is, into account. Um, so I think one interesting um, direction is um, the direction that consciousness may, just the, way, the same way the electron has... Um, certain qualities of being that cannot be reduced to anything else. Like the electron, you know, is actually described by a field, a quantum field. And this field, you know, carries energy, it carries spin, it carries these basic properties that we, that come together to make this thing called the electron. But if you try to take the spin and say, what, what, what does the spin? No, the spin is a fundamental thing. It cannot, and the idea here is that consciousness may be something as fundamental that it, you know, that it's not simply just the epiphenomenon, the complexity of neurons firing together that's given, like, for example, the firsthand experience, but that, that, that is inherent in, in, in the organization of matter and nature. Um, I mean, some people call this in the field of panpsychism or monism that, you know, matter comes with it some form, elementary form of, what we call consciousness. But um, there are people like, I think, um, Hoffman, who's at University of California, San Diego, who's working on like this idea that matter itself could, you know, not matter, it does, not that matter arises from mind, right? But somehow there's this interplay between those two things. And you could look at the problem of matter through the lens of a theory of consciousness that has mathematical structure that looks like quantum physics. I don't want to like oversell what, what he did, but I, f I find it fascinating enough that I have an open mind to, to, you know, to kind of, you know, um, to follow what they're doing. Um, and maybe there's a place where we can have a fun, fun conversation. Um, so that to me is, um, you know, an interesting direction. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's wild to think of all the possibilities there and, and, um, Strangely enough, just or coincidentally enough, I'm 
uh, in the process of reading uh, A Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, where he dives into uh, all these different religions and traditions and, uh, you know, different ways of thinking throughout all of history. And, you know, one thing that you find is that there's such a commonality between the way that, you know, if you really boil down all religions or ways of thinking, there's some very similar characteristics, um, you know, which in this book he describes as like the hero's journey and some of the common traits there, but more so in, you know, to go back to sort of what you mentioned about, uh, you know, how some of the physicists of the past believe that it all comes together as a whole and how, you know, you can sort of see that same thing uh, in many of the traditions of people that were come before us, you know, even if you sort of take away the labels and the, uh, you know, whether it's Christianity or, you know, Buddhism or whatever, if you take away all those different labels and the, you know, sort of modern day ways of looking at those religions that they do come down to a very similar, like there's parts of a whole that make up the whole thing and that there's, you know, a very common pattern within them. Um, that's why I was curious to see sort of like how much does, you know, in the field of physics are, are, you know, the people, uh, are, are the people advancing our understanding of physics? Are, are they, uh, you know, to what degree are they, are they religious or spiritual? Yeah, no, that, that's a, that's a really good question. Well, I can only speak about myself. Of course. Um, so, you know, when I was younger, for other reasons, I got very interested in, um, because in, uh, you know, Western philosophy and some of my favorite Western philosophers like Schopenhauer, right. Um, like uh, um, like Spinoza, you know, they were also interested in the big question, the question about mind and consciousness and the existence of the human, you know, where do we come from, you know, um, you know, is there a God, you know, things like this, right? Um, meaning, is there like a, you know, an intelligence, a consciousness that far surpasses um, ours, um, that in the sense that we are um, an approximation to, or like, you know, someone says like, the painter can make the painting, but the painting can't paint the painter, can't make the painter, right? Mm-hmm. As this, uh, this idea. Um, and so that got me very interested in like in Eastern philosophy and that drove me into, um, you know, sort of Tibetan, especially Tibetan and, um, you know, different forms, of, you know. At the end of the day, it points to that general um, philosophy <clears throat> that, um, that led me to, um, to Zen, um, to Zen Buddhism, which fundamentally points to direct experience, you know, sort of like, yeah, it points right back to your conscious, you know, okay, let's, so let's actually, let's investigate that. Like, let's investigate the first thing, I, since I can't theorize about it yet, I, you know, the same way I experiment, I'm experimenting in a lab with something, let's experiment with ourselves and see what the experiment says. Can I learn something new um, about, about what it is? And I think that that's a, you know, I don't think it's helped me understand that, that question about consciousness, um, you know, <clears throat> in, in, in scientific terms. But what it's helped me do is actually tap into um, intu- more intuitive ways of um, doing physics. Um, Meaning it, it, I don't know, it's, you know, things like meditation, for example, um, in all its different forms, um, I think uh, has awakened um, more, uh, more intuitive, um, you know, resources. Um, and I find that to be interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you're doing physics, you're trying to imagine in your mind, with your mind, even through equations as a, as a, as a tool or pictures or intuition, physical intuition, you know, this phenomenon that you may not have direct experience, but somehow we can do that. And the fact that that's happening with our minds, um, is interesting. The fact that like, you know, meditate, when you meditate, um, you're kind of, you know, you're kind of, um, exploring or, you know, observing happenings of your mind. And there's something interesting about that. Um, and yeah, I, you know, this year I'm hanging out, um, um, with some neuroscientists. So I expect to, you know, have, have, you know, have discussions with them about, about that. That sounds amazing. I'd love to, uh, hear how that goes. Um, I'm curious, uh, also about, you know, what, what you got going on in the future here. Like, where do you see, or where would you like to see the biggest changes in, in 
you know, in the world of physics? Where, where would you like to see the, the uh, you know, in the field itself? Is there anything that sort of comes to mind there as far as like where you'd like to see it go in the next, you know, let's say 10, 20 years? Hmm. I mean, I think one of the things I want to see more changes in is more cross-pollination. You know, I think that there was a time when physics was just physics, and then you know, physicists would actually do both experiment and theory. Okay, they were a lot smarter back then than we are today. So we can't, of course, we're going to get more specialized because the natures of the problem might require that, right? But while we're doing that, and we're becoming more and more specialized, you know, in, in these different subfields in physics and also the physical sciences, I think, you know, we should willfully try to, you know, head and forge cross, more cross um, subdiscipline. Like, so I benefit a lot from, even though I work mainly at the level of particle physics of very high energy and the early universe, I'm spending my sabbatical this year talking to bread and butter astrophysicists and people that work in condensed matter physics and people that work in information theory, biophysics, right? So I like engaging in those conversations because there might be opportunities where, you know, I might be able to make a contribution to their field, even though I'm not an expert and vice versa. So I think I would like to see more and more of that in, in, in the, in physics. Yeah, that sounds, sounds amazing. You know, I think though the world we live in today, especially, you know, if you go to university and everything, you learn a very specialized, very specific type of science or very specific type of degree or whatever. And that's that cross pollination, like we've been talking about, throughout this conversation that, you know, can inspire some of the best uh, innovations or ideas. Yeah, that's right. Like, so for example, when you go to college, right, you, you, know, you know, a lot of people take calculus, but that's not how, what calculus was. Calculus actually was the math that knew and invented to understand motion. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so if you're just going to go teach calculus without regards to sort of the root of it, then, you know, you're, you're missing, you know, at least half the picture. Yeah. I'm not saying that the way we teach calculus in college is not important and, 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 and useful, but it just brings to home the point that you're making, that um, you don't take away from, um, from building competencies and, you know, when you, you don't, you don't wa you're not watering things down when you, when you see, look to see the ways things that you learn are naturally connected to other things. Sure, yeah, this sort of, uh, you know, one of my, favorite physicist ever is Richard Feynman. And you know, he, yeah, he talks very much uh, about, you know, the practical application of what you're learning. And if you don't have that practical application of, you know, why are you learning this thing? How does it actually uh, interact with the world around you? Then you're missing really half of the story. Right. It's um, so that's, yeah, I, I think you're right on with, uh, yeah, he's the, one of my big heroes. Yeah. He's amazing. Amazing. Um, do you have any favorite books by him? Well, I'm reading right now The Character of Physical Law for the second time. Oh, beautiful. Yes. A little book based on talks that he gave and, and he kind of breaks it all down. Yeah. And he, he ends it basically saying, how it is that we, that we come to know these laws? How does that we come to, uh, to unearth in these equations? Well, we guess. <laughs> we guess. <laughs> That's Feynman, right? Yep. It's amazing though. He, I, for the audience out there, you know, he, Richard Feynman's probably one of the best ever at, uh, you know, boiling down a very complicated idea into something that just makes sense for, for nearly everybody. Um, it's something special. He understands it. Yeah. Yes. Yep. You know, it's one of those things that are, you know, you can't truly teach something until you can describe it, you know, in simple terms. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so for you personally, what do you have coming out in the next, uh, you know, say next few years or, or what are you most excited about? Well, I'm excited about many things, um, but I, I have a, my second book coming out um, soon. It's called, um, the, the title is called um, Fear of a Black Universe. And the subtitle is An Outsider's Guide to the Future of Physics. And it, it was written, it, the book was inspired by one of my heroes. So I wrote it in, in, a, in a type of style, okay, in a type of spirit of uh, the book that influenced me to want to become a physicist, which was Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. Mm. And so like the book is kind of like me having a fireside chat about the current status of cosmology and modern physics and, you know, fundamental physics that physicists today are wrestling with that we have, we don't have solutions to. Uh, so m m mainly things that I work on in my research. 
So just like in the briefest of your time, Stephen Hawking, every chapter is he gives a kind of a survey of like black holes and big, the Big Bang singularity, the arrow of time, right? He speaks about these cutting edge things, um, but it's from, a, from his, but through the lens of his own research and his own personal experience. Um, but also with ideas, with new ideas that might actually be wrong, but it's like, it's a book not just about what we know in physics, but it's a book of how we do physics, how we create. So the idea of the book is that we go on a journey together with the, with the reader, and I kind of play with new ideas um, at this intersection of what we know, what we don't know. And so I, you know, we talk about, but, but the way I'm able to do that is at the beginning, I basically, in, you know how you can be in a jungle and you're lost in a jungle, but if you have a bird's eye view, you can see the entire jungle. Sure. So I do that for physics. I basically, by explaining three, three fundamental principles, we can understand all of the jungle of physics. And I use these three principles to then be able to talk about things like, you know, like whether or not, like, you know, space and time emerge from some other, you know, thing that's beyond space and time, like some ideas of the early universe, whether or not the, the universe is actually an artificial intelligence type of situation, right? Mm -hmm. We play with these, these speculative ideas because it's black. The idea of, being, of blackness being stigmatized, being an outsider, right? Being that you're not in the club. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you can't help yourself but, but have these types of ideas, which might stigmatize you. But sometimes it's worth exploring, right? Because it may lead you down a path that may lead you to the, to the solution. So it's about also, the book's also about how do we embrace the outsider in ourselves as scientists, right? And how do we do that with each other? While making sure that, of course, we don't disrupt completely the foundations of physics and the tools have been useful, but how do we build on that? Take it with, 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 through the lens of like what it means to be an outsider as a scientist. Wow, that's, uh, that's some powerful stuff. I love the direction of that. I mean, it's, it is really, uh, I, think, I think we see that in, in a lot of areas today where we want to build off the foundation of, of the world around us without completely ditching it, but also being able to look outside the box. Because I think in a lot of ways, in a lot of fields, in a lot of areas, they get bogged down by the conformity of ideas and it creates sort of a redundancy or creates you know, just a lack of overall color and creativity. So... I think that's an amazing, uh, amazing challenge to, to overcome with a book there. Yeah, and you know, and part of the book, I, you know, we explore that those pressures are there and they're for real and that, you know, we, we, you know that's why people are kind of can be not stuck, but they can be comfortable in, in that type of situation, you know, if you're in the club, so to speak. And why, like, you know, and the reason why is that you get penalized if you, if you, you might want to do that. So the book is also empowering you know, people to say, you know, look, we understand that there are pressures to not do that. And th some of them are real. You may not get a job. You may not get promoted and that kind of stuff. So it's about really, you know, looking at that and saying, okay, can we, can we create some more space so we can have more of that? And, and why that's valuable, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, it sounds like, you know, trying to adjust our own value system to accept that sort of way of thinking as opposed to, you know, where we may be oriented right now to just shut down you know, something that's too far outside the box. That's, I think that's definitely needed now more than ever before. Awesome. I totally agree. Fantastic. So Stefan, uh, you know, I have loved this conversation. It's been amazing to hear some of these things and I'm really excited to read your book. Um, you know, before we sort of end off here, do you have any sort of final asks, requests, or, you know, words of advice for the audience? I think it's important to continue to be curious and, um, about just about the world around you, about people you interact with. Um, and, you know, there's so much, you know, this idea that we know, yeah, science, science, you know, is for science of the foundations of science. But I think the important thing is that it's also, there's an art to science as well. And just to appreciate that also there's just like, so much that we're, we're trying to understand. There's so much mystery out there and that, you know, we should embrace the mystery. Um, <clears throat> and then I think the other thing is, um, 
to just find ways where we can continue to disagree. I mean, science is about a disagreement and how, how we embrace that, those disagreements um, um, and, and the value of that, actually, to appreciate that, right? I think we, we're living in times now where people are averse to having disagreements, right? Yeah. So I think, you know, just being able to, to also embrace that and embrace that discomfort, I mean, embrace engaging people, each others that might appear to be so different. At the end of the day, right, we, we all have this internal experience and it's called being a human being, you know? Absolutely. Well, I love that. I, I appreciate that. And um, for, for the audience out there, where, where should we direct them to find you, uh, you and your, your work? Um, yeah, they can go to stefanalexanderlab.com or, you know, if they just do a simple Google search, Stefan Alexander, um, some of the first few pages will be like my homepage and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Are you active on social media? Yes, I do have Facebook. I do have Twitter, Steph Stem. I can, and, um, and I have Instagram as well, Stefan Alexander. And, I, and the jazz of physics. Love it. Well, I, I really look forward to your new book. I wish you the best of luck in solving uh, some of these major, massive, head-spinning problems that I couldn't even begin to describe. And, uh, and thank you again for your time today. It was a true pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for thank having you. me. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, please hit the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. You can find us on Twitter at KWC pod on Instagram at knowledge without college podcast. You can find me Patrick Butler at Patrick Butler zero zero on Instagram and Twitter. I encourage you to send over any feedback you have. If there's any guests you'd like to hear on the show, any topics you'd want to hear discussed. I want to know about it. I want to hear your feedback and opinions. So please help me make this a better experience for you. And I look forward to hearing from you. Have an excellent day and thanks for listening.